Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones. Hi, this is Andrew Olson. Before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to you leader to leader about something important. As leaders, especially at times of rapid change and uncertainty, it's easy to live and act from a place of fear. If we're not careful, that fear can paralyze us and keep us from effectively leading at work, at home, and in every relationship. But that doesn't have to be the case. My friend Ben Straub, founder of Velocity Strategy Solutions, a growth architecture firm that helps leaders and organizations accelerate revenue and maximize impact through data-driven strategies, has just released a great new resource for leaders. It's called Eight Things Leaders Say When They Fear Change and How to Confront Those Fears. This five-page resource gives you eight of the most frequent responses we as leaders have when we experience fear and the specific steps and language that you can use to move beyond fear to action. Click the link in the episode show notes to get this resource today. You'll be a better leader tomorrow because of it. Hey, this is Andrew Olson with Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to have my friend Mark P. Fisher today. Mark, welcome. Oh man, I cannot believe I get to be with you today. Dude, I, I feel likewise. I'm so excited for this conversation. So Mark is the CEO, growth strategist, and podcast host at Inspiring Growth. Um, and if you haven't checked out his podcast, you got to jump over and do that wherever you uh, listen to podcasts. It's a great show with great content. Mark uh, has been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine. He's worked with brands like AT&T, Red Lobster, Nestle, Speedstick, Office Depot, uh, even City's Olympic campaign featuring Gabby Douglas. I mean, Mark, you've done a ton. And nowadays, you're working with leaders to develop personalized processes to increase their revenues, to improve organizational leadership and to enhance overall joy. I, I love that mission. I also read that you're an amateur travel writer and a oh, yeah. contributor to TripAdvisor. So we're gonna have to get a question in somewhere on that, but so excited to have you here. Looking forward to talking with you about leadership. Thanks again for being here. Oh, whoop, whoop. I'm ready. I'm ready to hang out with you. Awesome, dude. So take a minute before we get into the questions and talk a little bit about who is Mark P. Fisher. Mm. Tell us a little bit about Inspiring Growth. Well, you just did a nice summary, although I will admit those top brands that you mentioned, I, all I did was I was a part of uh, an ad group that helped advise on some uh, messaging and, and uh, placement and so forth, which was an absolute blast. Uh, but you're right. Right now, I am focused on inspiring growth with great leaders and their brands. And how long have you been doing this with Inspiring Growth? Oof. Jeez. Uh, so really inspiring growth uh, started as Payne Fisher Marketing Group years okay. and years and years and years ago. I had a mentor that used to say, look, Mark, always have a side hustle, have a side gig. And so I started that many, 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 many years ago, but it was dormant as I went through my leadership journey. Back in 2013, I was the president of Sandy Cove, which is a, a beautiful retreat center on the headwaters of the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, I served there for eight years as the president, and we like to say the, the head innovation coach. But I think part of my journey in leadership really got derailed because of the stress of leading. At the time, we were a, about a $4.9 million nonprofit, a 70-year-old organization. And the first four years as president of Sandy Cove, I was in the hospital five times with stomach surgeries. Wow. 
And uh, it was like a joke around my team. Oh, where's Mark? He's probably at the hospital getting his freaking flyer stamp, you know. But I didn't, at first I thought it was just a, you know, normal stomach issues. But every time I ended up underneath the knife, the doctor kept saying, Mark, uh, this, is, this may be partially genetic, but there is stuff going on in your life that you're suppressing that you might want to pay attention to. But honestly, I was so driven to take that 4.9 million to an 8 million to do what the board had asked me to do to innovate and to help people connect with God and each other in a beautiful place like Sandy Cove that oftentimes I just didn't pay attention to my body. During that time of five surgeries, the doctors put me on a boatload of narcotics. And for nine years, my body became accustomed to those narcotics. And those pain medicines began to numb me. And my team would say to me, Mark, you're, something's going on with you. And finally, after the fifth surgery, I, my pain doc said to me, you're a husband, you're a father of five kids, you've, you're running an organization, you're off speaking, doing, but Mark, you can't stay on these pain meds forever. I said, okay, what do I do? He says, you got to stop them. So we tried to stop them. Well, guess what? <laughs> you don't just stop. And so he came to me and he says, I've got a procedure. It's kind of new. It's called a spinal cord stimulator. Have you ever heard of this? I have not. No. So what he does, the doc, outpatient surgery, okay. did a little incision in the base of my spine. He then snaked this wire up my spine. He closed me up. Are you freaking out yet? Because I can I, tell you, I, right I, now I was. You can see my face. I'm a little freaked out by this. I, but I was desperate to get off these pain meds. And he explained this to me. He said, this is not going to heal you. It's an electronic shock that you will be able to manage with a little device on your belt to increase the shock every time you feel pain to block the pain. Well, at first I was like, ooh. Did, did, your, did your wife get a remote so that she could give you Oh, a oh. I hadn't thought of that one. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been perfect for her. Well, the, here's, the, here's what happened. The first 15 minutes after the implant, it was glorious. I was able to manage the pain with this little device. I was celebrating out in the waiting room. And then pain coursed through my body like someone was pouring acid into my blood vessels. I started screaming. The doctor, the nurses came in. They looked at me. And what we didn't realize at the time is that he had accidentally cut a blood vessel in my spine. Oh, wow. And I was bleeding out. And he said to my wife, we need to get him to the hospital immediately because if, if this is not, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what's happening now, but if it's not attended to quickly, it could lead to long-term problems. Well, on the way to the hospital in the ambulance, I lost all feeling from my waist to my toes and I was going into temporary paralysis. And thank God, one of the finest neurosurgeons in the state of Delaware was on six hours later after opening up my back and putting me back together. He said to Lori, not sure what the outcome's going to be. So we'll wait until he wakes up. And I remember waking up at about one in the morning, all five of my kids and my wife were right at the foot of my bed when I woke up, which I'm so grateful for. And I'll, I remember my youngest son, Brennan, looking at me and saying, pops, can you move your toes? And I put my foot up in the air and I started wiggling it and they all started celebrating. And I was like, what's going on? Well, I told, they told me everything I just told you. And um, 
I'm so thankful. It, it took 18 months of recovery after that for me to really be able to manage my pain, to be back to normal, to perform the wedding of two of my kids uh, that fall. But the reality is the pain was so excruciating. It was an average 10 or average eight on a 10 scale. The meds took it down to a three, four. And uh, I went home after the surgery and my board of directors said, stay home. Don't come back to work. You've built a great team. Let them lead. And that was hard for me. Talk a little bit more about what that felt like. What were the emotions that were, that were going on for you? Uh, I felt useless. Uh, I felt unneeded. I, f I had this sense of failure, of uncertainty. And um, what it revealed is that all of this pain medicine and surgeries and issues that I was dealing with, my leadership had become really, really muted and self-centered. Hmm. That's something that pain does to us is it, it creates this, this self-absorption, like I've got to take care of this pain, right? Sure. And um, about three months later, in, after I've been home every day and recovering and staring at the wall and thinking about what bridge I'm going to jump off of because I was so depressed, the board of directors brought me into a meeting in December and they asked me the absolute right question a board should ask a CEO. What was that? They said, Mark, do you have the strength to get back on the horse? Hmm. And I knew, I don't know about you, like, has there ever been a time where you knew the next thing you're about to say was going to change the trajectory of your life? Absolutely. Yep. Eight years in this role, building a team, focused on mission. And I said, no, I don't. And they were a bit surprised. Yeah. I imagine it took a lot of courage to even muster that response. Well, thank you for that observation. I was so raw that being real in that moment was the only thing I knew. Hmm. And uh, looking back, it might look like courage. I think it was, I think it was fear, desperation, probably a little bit of numbness. I'll tell you what happened next though. The board sent me home and said, please come back in 24 hours. Now, I know you have worked with nonprofits and board of directors for many years, right? Yep. They brought me back the next day, and I walked into a room of, I think there were 15 people, all my friends, and the HR director was sitting there. And I went, yeah, I know where this is going. <laughs> yep. And uh, one of my friends, who was uh, designated as the one to communicate the board's decision, said to me, Mark, we love you. We are grateful for the sacrifice you and your family have made amazing things have happened here, but we accept the fact that you don't think you can get on the horse. You know what's required. And so um, we'd like to give you a year's severance, hmm. take wow. care of your health care, and hire you a career coach to help you make through this transition. Yeah, that never happens. I've it never seen something such like Such an before. example of leadership in the nonprofit sector. Yeah. And um, at first I was shocked I wasn't even listening. And then in hindsight, I was so grateful, Andrew, that they created a runway for inspiring growth to take off. That's fascinating. Yeah. And uh, not only did that happen to me, and I worked through the emotions of it all, but 
the person I hired to be the program director became the president and several years later asked me to come back and he said, can we hire Inspiring Growth to work with our sales team? And we, we've seen uh, an $800,000 growth in the sales team. And all, I, tell, I tell him, I love supporting the president. I don't want your job. <laughs> Absolutely. I, so I'm, it's a fascinating story. And for our listeners, I, I think I, I didn't mention in the intro that Mark is quite an accomplished storyteller. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate you sharing that. Talk to me a little bit about what you, you know, you went through that whole process, a lot of raw emotions. What did you learn about yourself coming out of that? Oh, great question. I think one of the things I learned is that, well, let let me tell you another story. (laughs) I was literally sitting home one day staring at the wall, as I said, thinking of what bridge to jump off. And my beautiful, redheaded, Texas-born wife walked in the door from her work, asked me what I've been doing. I said, you know, I'm thinking about going on disability. And she looked at me and she kind of wagged her finger and says, oh, no, you're not. (laughs) I mean, you got a wife, you know, that's a defining moment. And we've been married 32 years now. And I said, why not? I don't know what I'm going to do. She goes, because think of everybody we know that's gone on disability. What's happened to them? Do you know anyone that's gone on disability, Andrew? I know a few. They have to spend the rest of their life convincing someone that they're still disabled in order to get money. Yep. And they may actually be disabled, but Lori looked at me and she goes, you've got a lot to offer leaders. You need to figure out how to do it. Then she went and made dinner. (laughs) And it was that little, that was that moment where I realized that sometimes all of us need a kick in the pants, someone to believe in us beyond ourselves. I, I learned that this necessity, you know, we all know the, the phrase necessity is the mother of invention. And uh, I said to my career coach, uh, again, who Sandy Cove paid for, I said, I don't, I'm stuck. And he goes, no, you're not stuck, actually. He says, what you've learned about yourself is you're an entrepreneur. And if you can figure out how to commodify the walking with leaders part of your life since you sat in their chair, then you will be a contributor to many leaders, many organizations. And so he says, just start reaching out to all of your contacts and let them know you're available. And so the first email I sent was to the president of ECFA, uh, the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, Dan Busby. And I, my headline or my subject line was limping leader for hire. <laughs> I, I told him my story and he says, come in and let's have lunch. And we had lunch. And by the end of the time, I'm asking all these questions about their priorities and what they're working on. And he goes, hey, by the way, we're working on trying to help camps like retreat centers like Sandy Cove become members. And I was like, well, I help bring Sandy Cove into ECFA. I know everything that it takes. Why don't you just let me go out there and recruit? Because half of them are my friends. He goes, how much? And then he said, hired. Nice. And pretty soon what happened was one after another, I got phone calls from the people that I reached out to that were leaders in organizations. And they're like, like John Ashman, for example. Sure. John Ashman at the time when we first met was the vice president of Christian camp and conference association. He called, he gave me a book called same kind of different as me. You know, the story, Mm -hmm. 
And he called me out of the blue and he says, Fish, I heard you had health issues. And I told him my story. And he goes, did you ever read that book, Same Kind of Different as Me? And I said, oh, yeah. Not only did I read it, it screwed with me. <laughs> it messed with all these negative, bad, judgmental attitudes I've had toward people, especially the homeless. And he goes, really? <laughs> I said, why do you ask? He goes, well, I'm now the president of an association that helps over 300 rescue missions around the country. And I was like, well, that's cool. He goes, would you be interested in helping raise awareness and money for those missions? And I said, uh, if I can do it for my couch, yeah. He goes, then I'll be your anchor client. And for two and a half years, like you, I just started paying attention to leaders and I picked up one, two, three, four, five clients, six clients. I call my VIP inspiring growth clients. Two and a half years ago, one of my clients called me and he says, Fish, I am amazed at how you've inspired growth in me as a leader. And, you know, we've grown like 62% and I'm thinking of running for mayor of Prescott, Arizona. What do you think? And I said, wait, can you rewind that? What did you say? Because remember, my company name was Payne Fisher Marketing Group, which right. is my name. <laughs> and he told me, you inspire growth in me as a leader. And it was at that moment mm. that a light bulb went on. And I realized my purpose as a man, as a leader, as a guy who's gone through all the crap of leadership, run, you know, being run by boards, running from boards, you know, running little city, like all of that stuff that maybe, just maybe, what I'm supposed to do is inspire growth with great leaders and their brands and to be available to sit and walk with them in a way that does just that. And so I deviated my name change to inspiring growth. That's the brand. That's what I'd love to do. And that's what my team does. That's awesome. What a great story. All right. So I want to, I want to shift this a little bit and I want to talk about, about values. I would love to know what you feel are the most important values that a leader can display to those that they lead. Um, I, I wrote a little list down because you sent me that question. <laughs> I, and, and honestly, I wish I had sent it to my team, but I just didn't, I didn't have hindsight enough to do that. But here, here's what I think is in values that a good, a great leader demonstrates and one that I'm trying to exemplify. Number one, for heaven's sakes, be human just be human share your life tell stories don't act like a robot especially as we walk through corona you know don't act like some corporate policy driven idiot be real be be human second thing i i wrote down was be curious i, I like to say curiosity may have killed the cat but it fuels the lion huh. And I love to ask questions. Uh, I have read more books on questions and developing a, que a, a curious mind. One of my favorite books is called The Curious Mind by Brian Grazer. He and Ron Howard have produced like 100 movies and TV shows. Wonderful. And another one is by Bob Tede, uh, and he's written a bunch, but he has one called That's a Great Question, I think it's called. Oh, man, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it. But just be curious ask questions. I would say another value is to be kind. I know in my own family, sometimes I'm an idiot. I'm a complete idiot. The other two days ago, I just chewed out one of my kids because there was something inside me that was really troubling me. And I was holding it down and holding it down. And he walked in the door and I said something to him and he challenged me. And I was just an asshole. I apologize, but I was just 
wasn't until last night that I FaceTimed them and apologized and owned it. But in business, in leadership, kindness leads us to places that drive never can. And I would say another value. Say that again. Say that again. I don't even know what I said. You said kindness leads us to a place where drive never can. Yeah, I think that's true. That's fascinating. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Because people want to be with kind people. Yeah. You know, the, if you're out front and nobody's following you, what kind of leader are you? So I would say another thing that I've learned is to be present. Just like this conversation with you, I've turned everything off. I'm not checking email. My phone is off. I want to be with Andrew. And I think the gift that we give to people is to be present. And I think leaders who are present with their, with their staff, their team, their partners, you can feel it, right? You know it when you're in the presence of a leader who's checking his phone every second and you're saying something and they go, Hey, what? Huh? Like, come on, man, just let's be present. And, and the last thing I would say, and that's, that's really, uh, you're very kind in the explanation of my roles with inspiring growth, but my, my primary role is chief encourager. Hmm. Talk, Talk more about that. Well, I mean, encouragement is like a double shot of espresso. Like, when I tell my team, that was a great idea, let's run with it. I don't have to check back. I encourage their idea. I didn't think of it. Even if I thought of it, the fact that they, they came up with it and said, what if we tried this? There's a four letter word I think in business that people run from and it's T-E-S-T, test. So if you've got a team member that says, hey, what if we try this? And, and you affirm them, you encourage them, you are their chief encourager they're going to do it, right? They're, it's theirs. They own it. So, and, and here's, someone asked me recently, how is it that you can be a chief encourager like you are? And I had to really think about that because I didn't know the answer. And then it dawned on me. I believe the best in people. Hmm. I believe they are doing the best they can. I think Brene Brown once said, when we look at people and realize they're doing the best they can, we're less judgmental, less angry, and I think, I, I think adapting that attitude, not thinking the worst of them or their sinister motives or anything like that, like just be, your, be their ter- chief encourager. Is that something that you are just like, you're naturally drawn to believe the best in people or is that something you've had to work on? I think it's both. I think early in my life when it was all about me every time, all the time and the details and the decisions were what's in it for me, uh, I was less of an encourager. I would say over time, as different mentors and people have invested in me, I've, I've seen it modeled in a way that fueled me. Mm-hmm. So then I began to embrace those examples. So I'd say it's a little of both. Let, let's talk for a minute about failure. No, I don't like that topic. <laughs> None of us do, right? I hate to fail. <laughs> I hate to fail too. In fact, I try to structure things so that I fail as little as possible. Well, we should. I, I find that it hurts more when you do fail. But I, what I'm really curious to, to get your take on is so often, particularly in nonprofits, you know, when you think about the way that nonprofit funding models work, mm-hmm. risk is, is almost pounded out of organizations, right? Yeah. You, you mentioned testing a minute ago. The, the number of nonprofits that actually aggressively test things is so low. But at the same time, I feel like we often hear, because it's a popular thing to say, oh, we embrace failure. Mm-hmm. But but then you know what you see is someone embraces right someone embraces the idea of failure, 
but when failure actually takes place, there's such a negative response to that. So talk a little bit about how a leader, to kind of to go back to your point about the values, how, how a leader can be more human, be more curious, be more authentic in embracing the idea of failure and creating a space where people don't get beaten up when they fail. Uh, man, Andrew, great questions. So funny story. Uh, we just published episode 28 of Inspiring Growth, and it was about the founders of Windows, Bill Gates and uh, okay. the other guy's name, Paul something. And, he, and part of the story we told sort of in the Paul Harvey vein was how those two guys partnered in, you know, their late teens to start a company that failed miserably. And then it led to the discovery of what we now know as Windows and Microsoft. So I'm on the road in Texas performing a wedding for my brother-in-law and doing some client work. And I forgot my podcast mic. So I say to my co-host, Amberly Niece, who's a, just a beautiful human being, uh, shoot, I don't want to do it. And she's like, okay, we'll do whatever you think. And then I said, well, I'll, we'll just do it with my ear pods. So I produce it, do the interview. It's up on the internet. I go back and listen to it and it sucks. It's horrible. I'm in, like, I'm in this terrible mental space. Like, why did I share with the universe something so good and important with such terrible quality. Cause you know, when you do a podcast, if the audio is bad, people turn it off. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I sent a text to Amber Lee and she hashtagged funny. Wonder what you're going to learn about failure from an episode <laughs> about failure. <laughs> what? Leave me alone. But uh, are you familiar with the Enneagram system of typing? A little bit, but not, not much. So I am a type three, which is the achiever. And that simply means the number one thing I fear the most is? Failure. Failure. You know, I'm driven. I want to excel, but I'm also very image conscious. So, so much of dealing with failure is recognizing, well, I think Bill Gates said it best. It's on episode 28. Success is a lousy teacher. Hmm. It seduces people into thinking they can't lose. Hmm, that's and he also, yeah, and he also said, it's fine to celebrate success, but it's more important to heed the lessons of failure. The, the language I use is autopsy without judgment. Have you ever heard this phrase? I, I have not, but it's an interesting phrase, yeah. Well, you and I worked on a movie. The, move, the same kind of difference yeah. uh, was picked up by Paramount. It was produced and sent out in the world a couple of years ago, and... Um, you and I worked on this red carpet idea, providing the movie four rescue missions to show two days before the national release to help raise awareness and money for the homeless cause. Mm -hmm. Yep. 158 cities, over 300 screens and, and rescue missions raised $4 million on that single night showing the movie. But it was an absolute flop at the box office. Yeah did not even make the money back for the investors, even though it was rated as one of the highest pre-release movies in the history of Paramount. Um, and there's, so what we did is we did an autopsy without judgment. Hmm. We said, okay, instead of saying, you're an idiot, you failed. We said, what went wrong? And you know, it's a dead body on the table. So <laughs> it's not me. It's not you. It's not them. It's a dead body. What went wrong? So in when we fail, 
if we practice this idea, okay, that didn't go to plan. What can we learn from it, from that stinky dead carcass, so that we don't do that again? And that's what I'm learning about failure. I, I love that idea where I'm challenged with it <laughs> is, is how does in an environment where that's typically not the case, right? Where, where there is typically sort of the finger Blame pointing, the, yeah, the blaming. What are some steps that you think a leader needs to take to begin to create that space? I mean, is it as, as easy as saying, flip the switch, we're just going to do this process now and, and nobody's going to you know, blame one another from now on? What, what kind of environment has to exist to allow that? Here's what I'm learning about creating that environment. I have to be willing as a leader to say, I had a part in this. And I've been thinking about it. And I think my part was this. I pushed this too fast for a deadline that was unrealistic. If you're in the room of the people who are feeling bad about it not working and the leader humbly acknowledges and in a human fashion says, I contributed to this, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right? Yeah. So I think that's the first step. After that, there's just a process of, of, of educating. Okay, we're not blaming anybody. Please own what you know, what you did or didn't do, but let's take this and build the next thing on top of it and tell a story about somebody that failed and then created Microsoft, I think. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I was interviewing a guy named Gabe Cooper a week or so ago. He's the CEO of Virtuous Software. Yeah. And, and he was telling a story that uh, one of the organizations they work with they, they actually will um, get a cake every time mm. there's a project that fails and mm. they will, they will celebrate the failure mm. and, and they do More that than me. To, to make sure that, you know, people know, Hey, we took a risk. We learned something from this. It didn't work, but we're going to celebrate the fact that we tried it. And I, like, in my mind, I thought, okay, that's kind of ironic. You know, sort of, you know, here's your failure cake. But at the same time, I think it, you know, it creates that kind of environment where people, feel really safe, like you were talking about, to be vulnerable, to say, yeah, I'm going to own it. I screwed this up. And it makes a ton of sense that that starts with the leader stepping in and saying, I got to own mine first, you know? It always starts with the leader. Yeah. Okay. Always. I'm curious to, to hear from you. One of the things that you talk about and that I've seen on your site is this idea of, you know, kind of the, the way that you help organizations shift their focus and their culture. Mm. Talk to me about what goes on in a process like that when you, when you are trying to really skyrocket growth for an organization? What are some of the cultural barriers that you face and Ooh. how do we get around those? Well, it starts with the guy I shave in the mirror. Okay. I mean, I have to admit, somebody, when I became president at Sanico, someone told me that the culture of the organization will look very similar to me after two years because of what I value, how I operate, what I focus on, what I reward, and I, at, the fir at first, I thought, that doesn't feel healthy. And then I realized, it doesn't matter, it is. And so creating a healthy culture in an organization, I think, starts with the leader. And honestly, admitting the things that I'm not great at. I, my executive assistant was great at everything I'm not. And I was always told her, your, your job is to make me 10 times more effective. And she did. And we recently celebrated her life. She passed from cancer just a, a few months ago, which I was one of the most painful moments for me just to see someone move into the eternity. And yes, she is in heaven, but um, I just miss her. I, she was so yeah. great with me and for me. So I think part of a healthy culture is to pay attention to our emo own emotional health. 
because how we're doing emotionally can spill out and lean and just move out over everybody. Right. So if we're in a bad place, people are going to feel it. They're like, Oop, porcupine Mark showed up. I think also a healthy organization is often what we tolerate and what we reward. So if people understand this is, this is our standard, this is where we're heading and we reward and talk about that. Uh, people realize the culture is built around, you know, success and celebrating and achieving these goals. But if somebody in the organization is caustic and we leave them there, we are actually creating barriers to cultural health. I think, you know, this well as you know, I have lived it. Yes. Experientially. So yep. I think as leaders, we have to have those, I think Patrick Lencioni calls them the hard conversations nobody else will have. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm okay with that. I would also say this. Years ago, I sat down. <laughs> the reason why the universe knows nothing about what I'm about to tell you is because it has a terrible name. Okay. But I sat down and wrote The Vowels of Leadership. The Vowels of Leadership? Exactly. Some, okay. <laughs> you, you, you thought I said vowels. <laughs> <laughs> what comes out of the bowels, but crap. Uh, but what I did is I took the acronym, I took A-E-I-O-U and I sat down and I thought, what, what am I doing uh, as a leader every day? And it turned, I, literally without trying it, every letter started with a vowel. So if you don't mind, I'll just tell you what I yeah. The A, a good leader to develop great culture is that you have to articulate the mission and vision with regularity. You're the chief mission officer. We know in the ancient stories of old that where there is no vision, the people will perish. So if we articulate the mission and vision with regularity and measurability with frequency, I think we become leaders people want to follow. Are you with me? Yep. So defining that mission. I, I, I created a little card in our organization and I learned it from this chief, this amazing hotelier that founded Brits. And it had the mission and vision and core values. And I gave it out to every person. And I asked managers to talk about once a day, one of those mission values to discuss them with the team. The second thing is E, exemplify and encourage our values. I've got to exemplify. It goes back to me as a leader. If I don't do it, who else is going to do it? We developed this uh, phrase at Sandy Cove. Uh, we want every guest to feel the wave, the Sandy Cove wave. Welcomed, appreciated, valued, and encouraged. Mm -hmm. So we would wave at each other to help remind each other of that core value, especially when you saw grumpy pants walking in going, <laughs> hello, and did the little hand wave. Oh, yeah. So whatever your core values are, we as leaders need to exemplify it and encourage it in practical ways. I... I think a leader's job is to invite others to join us. We're inviting donors, staff, guests, volunteers. It's, the, it's one of the key components of leadership. We are invitational. I remember I was in with my therapist one day, and I said something like, oh, I should have done so-and-so, so-and-so. I should do this. I should do that. And he looked at me and goes, Mark, um, you really are being hard on yourself. And I was like, well, yeah, because I failed. Hello. And he goes, I have found in my practice that when someone says should a lot, if they would just replace the word shitting, you're shitting on yourself every time you say I should have, should have, should have, because you're resenting and regretting the things you didn't do instead of focusing on the things you want to do. And so I should 
get more revenue, should get more donors, should invite. No, no, no. An invitational approach is, hey, Andrew, I'd really love for you to join our team. This is where we're going. Does that light your fire? See the difference? Yep, totally. Oh, now the next two I'm going to stretch. I will admit. Okay. <laughs> over and over, tell mission stories. If you're a faith-oriented uh, organization, tell the God stories that took place. If you're not a faith-oriented, tell the stories of mission being accomplished. So make a statement about our goal was to see 10,000 people come to our camp in the summertime. Let me tell you about John. Mm. Tell the stories over and over. And by the way, you had paid me a very kind compliment about stories. I, I want to tell you, I did not just become a storyteller out of the womb. I realized watching some of the greatest storytellers from Jesus forward that I wanted to get better at storytelling. So I joined the Moth, which is an, a wonderful community of uh, people that tell true stories in front of a live audience with no notes. Huh. And you can see if you, if you Google Mark B. Fisher, the Moth, you can see it on, online. Uh, one of the stories I told about my wife and I helping my son and future daughter-in-law set up their engagement but I work at telling stories and every story has three pieces, a beginning, a middle and an end. <laughs> and have you ever noticed when, when you're talking or you're listening to a speaker a pastor or somebody, a leader, and all they're doing is talking about principles or statistics, you just, your mind wanders. But as soon as the person says, now I want to tell you a story about, because they're going to take you on a journey Yeah. and you pay attention. So tell stories. Oh, tell stories. I tell my team, make a statement, tell a story. We're about to do a webinar, I think it's June 10th, focused on camps, retreats, and conference centers called Roadmap to Recovery. And I'm predicting about 57% of all camps, retreats, and conference centers will be closed by the end of 2020. Closed for good? Either permanently or temporarily. Okay. And we are walking through the icy uh, tundra looking for those who want to be alive. And we are offering this webinar on all the donors and communications and strategies and so forth to stay alive and be alive and thrive. And I told my team, when you are on your, your webinar, your session, make a statement, tell a story. I love that. And then you, again, I told you it was a stretch. <laughs> you did well, Andrew. Huh. Affirm, affirm other people. So those are kind of the, the ways that I've worked at at trying to create a healthy organization, to articulate the mission, to exemplify the values, to invite others to join you, to over and over tell stories and affirm people. That's awesome. I had no idea where we were going with the vowels of leadership. <laughs> <laughs> this is really valuable and I, I love this idea. Mark, we're about out of time. Okay. I, I really appreciate uh, you being here. I yeah. love to uh, listen to you share and appreciate you sharing your personal story and your experience mm -hmm. with leadership. If someone wants to know more about inspiring growth, wants to, you know, connect with you personally, what's the best way for people to reach you? Yeah. Inspiringgrowth.biz, B-I-Z. Inspiringgrowth.biz is the best place to go. And uh, you can also schedule a, a meeting with me, a Zoom meeting at the bottom of our page, if you're interested in having a conversation. Uh, but here's what I would say. For those of you who are listening to Andrew's podcast, chances are you're in the nonprofit sector. You're raising money to help people, and you are constantly in this place where your job is to make it rain. I don't think there's any magic pills, <laughs> but I do think 
that leaders are learners. And I think five years from today, you and I are going to be the same people, except for two things. The books we read, the podcasts we listen to, the information that we learn from, and the people we meet. Amen. So if I can be a blessing and encouragement and inspiring to inspire growth with you, reach out to us on our website. Otherwise, hey, thanks for tuning in. And I'm so grateful, Andrew, to, to be a friend of yours and to be able to be a part of the podcast. Amen. Appreciate you. Yeah. Grateful to have you here. Thanks a lot. Right on. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.